0: whole generation died? What well, because he believed me not. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this tonight. I want you, I want you to answer me. Does God love you? Does God take very good care of you? So has God given you everything that you need legitimately within, it, within the boundaries of his word? Okay? Now, if that's true, then you don't need to sin, do you? You don't need to do wrong. If that's true, now, here's what happens. When we decide to sin, what we say is we don't believe that's true. We just don't believe that's true. God didn't give me enough. If he'd given me enough, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to do this, and we go and do something uh, <clears throat> that we know is wrong because we're not believing that God has met the need and taken care of us. Now, <clears throat> here's the thought that we're going <clears> to <throat> look at unbelief as being a great disorder, the, the great disorder. And unbelief is the pathway to disintegration of the soul. Now, we're going to see that in a second. What you're doing is you start tearing yourself apart with unbelief. And unbelief comes in and all kinds of noise comes in. Because if you don't believe God on a certain point, how can you believe him on other points? I talked with somebody recently, and um, <clears throat> as a child, they, they believed in Santa Claus. And then one day... <clears throat> One Christmas time, as a child, fully believing in Santa Claus, he looked out, and he saw Daddy eating the cookies that he left out for Santa. And he realized in a split second it was all a lie. Now, everybody has to come to that point, but do you know what? That has an impact on people. That really does, that has an impact on people. That, that actually affects them. And um, he, he has a lie. And you, so what, what happened for him after that? Well, after that, every time he looked at mom and dad, he was wondering, well, can I really trust them? Now, here's the thing. When you don't trust God, and you don't trust that he's given you enough, and you don't trust that he's taken care of you, and you don't trust that he loves you, you know what happens? You go and you make things happen for yourself. But what happens after that is you begin to wonder, if it's all really true. Well, you see, over here I had to do this that I knew he didn't want me to do, but I had to do this to make it work. And I had to do this over here to make it work. You know what? It's probably not true that he really cares about me. Now, what happens when you put yourself in the place where I have no option but to wait on him? Nation of Israel, right? Here we have two and a half million people. They're in the desert. There's no water. Animals, camels, oxen, sheep, there's no water. Now, you can't live without water. You can live without food for a few days, but you just can't live without water. Right? So they're standing there, and they start to murmur and complain. Oh, you brought it all out here to die, and, and on and on. We know what they did. right? Now, we tend to sympathize with them, don't we? What are they supposed to do? There's no water. Well, if it was okay for them to do that, why does God take such a big issue with it? So let's ask ourselves another question. What did God expect them to do? What did God expect Israel to do in the wilderness when there was no water, two and a half million people and no water? What did he expect of them? Huh? He expected them to ask him for it, right? Now, you know, if you ever ask God for something as you were going to do something you knew he didn't want you to do? We can ask, and it's not really very very real. So what would come before asking? Layton. Yeah. He loves us. Now, was it reasonable for them to believe that he loved them? Yeah. It was very reasonable. He had taken care of them through all the plagues. When the firstborn in Israel died, and all right across our Egypt, right across Egypt, the whale went up because the firstborns were all dead. If you had a dad who was a firstborn and a son who was a firstborn living in the house, they were both dead, gone. You went out in the barn, and out in the yard, and the, ba- and the animals, the first, there were a lot of animals lying around dead. Everything, all the firstborns died. And the people in Israel weren't touched. They weren't touched. Pharaoh came after them with his chariots <clears throat> going to kill them. And you know what? God swallowed them up in the ocean. They had good reason to believe that God loved them and God would take care of them. What was God expecting? God was expecting them and saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Listen, he looked after us before. He's taken care of us back. He's going to do it again. He loves us. Well, I, don't know how, I don't know where the water's coming from. But there's going to be water. Now that's That's, that's faith. I, one of the things I love is Moses. When the nation of Israel were, were, were faced with Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, they all go, the whale goes up again, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, right? And Moses says this, and he hasn't always been in this place of faith, but he says this, he says, Stand still and see the salvation of God. Now, I don't know that he knew what God was going to do, but he says to them, look, listen, don't worry about it. God's got it in hand. And he is believing, he is trusting. A story told about Hudson Taylor, that Hudson Taylor um, <clears throat> was in China with no food, and they were out in the bush, out in the wilderness in, in China. And um, <clears throat> he was with uh, some other people. He's older by this point. And he's, he, he's traveling. Uh, he's, he's, I think he was sitting on a donkey, and they, 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 were, they were actually leading him along. And um, <clears throat> uh, next of all, they hear him thanking God for the food. And everybody's hungry, so they, they stop. Well, no what food? And he says this. He says, I'm hungry, and my father knows I'm hungry. He's going to provide food for me. And sure enough, they came, came upon a place, and they were able to buy food, and they, 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 they were able to, to be fed. But, but what, was, what, was, what was exciting about that was Hudson Taylor had a need, and he knew that when he had a need, his heavenly Father was interested, loved him, and was going to meet him. So on that basis, he was thanking him for it before he ever saw it. Now you say, that's a long stretch faith. It's not really when you think about it. And God is, God is pleased with that. And he's always displeased with our unbelief. So <clears throat> and we need to understand that when we don't believe, Why do you worry? Why do you worry? Why do we worry? Because we don't think God's going to get it right, do we? I'm just not sure he's going to get it right. Now, understand this. This one took me a while to unravel in my own heart, right? He doesn't always do what I think he needs to do. He always does the right thing. He does the better thing, the best thing. Now, I've gotten caught on this one, particularly when I was younger in the Lord, right? Uh, you know, okay, I'm sure God's going to do this. And then he wouldn't do this. And your faith's shattered. Because your faith was in the wrong, wrong object. Your faith, you were trusting that God would do what you wanted him to do but he doesn't do it that way. He does what's best in the situation, and oftentimes he has a way of doing it that you can't imagine at all until you actually see him do it. But he wants you to trust him. He loves me. He cares for me. He will take care of me. Here's an interesting thought for somebody that worked with the Lord for, uh, for years. How many things have you worried about that you thought, this will be the end of me? This will be the end of me. It's over. And there's no way around this one. I mean, this is just going to be the end of me. And you're still here. And you're still kicking, and you're still alive, and you're still doing all right. Because you know what? He did take care of you. He always takes care, and he wants us to trust him that he will take care of us. And he's gentle with us. He's tender with us. He doesn't load huge trials on us to start off with. He builds us in our faith. But he wants us to depend upon him. But it's not a case of kind of, well, you know what? Someday I'll get around to that faith stuff. That's the critical issue of your life. Trusting him, depending upon him. Getting to know him and trusting him and depending upon him. And really, here's how you would have zero noise in your soul. If you could trust him fully to take care of you and to look after your needs. If you could trust him fully, there wouldn't be any problems in your soul. All right, let's, let's pray and we'll look at Romans chapter 1 again. Father, would you bless us now as we look to your word and help us, Lord. Lord, we need it. Each one of us needs it, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to, to, to come to grips with the reality of your care and your love for us. And, Lord, may we <clears throat> uh, let you free, Lord, to do that which you want to do in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, Psalm 78, <clears throat> it says this. Uh, it says that the nation of Israel... Bound the Lord; He couldn't do stuff for them because they wouldn't believe. So, how you bind God in your life is refuse to believe Him. Now, that's a scary thought because we want to live in this world where you know whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But faith is a key issue. Us depending upon Him allows Him to do stuff. In one of the towns, I think it was in a, in, a, in uh, Nazareth, He, he said. Uh, he did not, there are not many miracles because they believed not on him. Now, he, he was there, they knew him, but they did not believe on him, so he didn't do much, he just kind of passed through. Other places, it says that, listen, he healed everybody. But from time to time, he didn't. And so understand this, this issue of faith, you know, obviously we're talking about quiet and a noisy soul. We're, co- ta- we're talking about the help that can be to you. But, you know, there's, there's ramifications every day in your life on this one. Life's going to work if you can trust him, and it's not if you don't. All right. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Uh, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, they weren't thankful, and they became vain, empty, hopeless in their imaginations. <clears throat> Unbelief is a disorder because it accepts the reasonings of fallen man, vain imaginations, over the revelation of God. <clears throat> something that would help us enormously. And it doesn't get you there all by itself, but it helps enormously. When you come to the place where you say, look, what's written in black and white is truth. That's right. What I feel is secondary. What God says is true, that's the truth. What I feel, that's secondary entirely to it. I need to do what it says in the word to do, because that's the truth. And that's what builds faith. You build your faith. And when you don't, When you take the reasonings of man, vain imaginations, you end up with a disorder. You end up with a world that's out of kilter. You end up with a world that just doesn't get it. You know, listen, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The beginning, the start, the beginning of wisdom. Can you have wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord? It might look wise, it might look clever, but it doesn't. It's not. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you take the basic building block out, what happens is you you, you end up with something that's false, something that's vain, something that's a vain imagination. Now, <laughs> all right, so here we are, little church, handful of people, <clears throat> and um, we follow this and we say this is true. And everybody out there doesn't follow that and, uh, and they say, what they say is true. Right? <clears throat> now, how's it going to be proven who's true? How are you going to know in the end who's true? What's right and what's wrong? How are you going to know for sure? How can you know for sure what's, tr- what's right and what's wrong? word, And, and, and that, that serves for us. It doesn't serve for them out there. They don't believe it's true because it says in his word. Do you ever hear the saying, the proof of the pudding is in the eating? One day, the reality of it all is going to be demonstrated in technicolor. One day, heaven and hell are going to be the only things that matter. One day, all that we've got on this planet is going to seem very unreal when placed beside the realities of heaven. The moment somebody dies, it all changes. The priorities change, all of it changes. Now, that's the time when we're going to know. That's the time when, you know, there's no just accepting by faith the word. That's the time when it's real. Our faith shall be sight, one of the song says. We'll come to the place where it's real. Now, at that time and in that place, there's no question about it. What's real is real. And... Um, <clears throat> So one day faith will be proven. And so until then, God says, I want you to buy faith to trust my word. And here's the truth. As you trust his word, you say, yeah, it's true. Works. My life works better when I obey the truth. Every area of my life works better when I obey the truth. The more I obey the truth, the better life works. The problems in, in our lives are caused by the fact that we're not obeying the truth in certain areas. But wherever we obey the truth, it works better. So, you know, every time I obey the truth, I say, yeah, well, you know what, that, that works, that's true. And every time I disobey it, you know, well, you know what, that, that means it's true, too, because it's a problem. Now, typically, you know, people don't disobey God's word and say, oh, you know what, I did the wrong, did, did wrong thing, and it's kind of, it's, it's rubbish. Now, what, what we do is we justify our rubbish until somebody sits down at some point and says, are, are you listening to yourself? Would you would you look at the reality of your life? Is it really helping you to disobey God? Is it really helping you? Are you better for it? Are you happier for it? Are you more pleased over it? Is it really helping you? And you've got to kind of think it through. Sometimes you have to give yourself a talking to, and think things through, <clears throat> really. All right. <clears throat> but what happens is, uh, vain imaginations are a disorder, and <clears throat> they start. We start disintegrating. Um, <clears throat> Number two, that as we shall see, most of the psychiatric disorders of our day are rooted in the great disorder. These passages are merely representative of many that, m- of many that show the relationship in scriptures. In each of these passages, an obvious sin shows up, but God's rebuke is for unbelief. Right? At the root of anger is unbelief. Now, we looked last week at it. Moses smote the rock. God doesn't say, Moses, you are angry. Moses, you are proud. You know, he doesn't say, you've always been like this, Moses. That's why you killed the Egyptian back there. He doesn't do that. What does he say to him? Unbelief, Moses. You didn't believe me. You believe me not. You didn't trust me. Now what did Moses not trust about God? Why did he have to get angry? Because these people weren't doing right. And he needed to get angry with them because they were just so annoying and so frustrating and he needed to get annoyed with them to move them. That's exactly why you get annoyed and angry. That's exactly why, because you need to move these people. And in the moment when you're annoyed and angry, there is no God. You are God because you are making it happen by the power of your anger. And it's unbelief. God's in it. And what does it unleash? It unleashes, listen, a a storm in your soul. You get angry and it unleashes a storm inside you. And the reality is you need to come to the place where you trust. No, no, God knows he's doing. He knows what's right here. Um, What about when we get bitter? Somebody done me wrong. Is that unbelief? What about Joseph? Somebody definitely done Joseph wrong. What does Joseph say? God did me good. And you want to make that a special case, don't you? Yeah, well, that was Joseph. He was on his way to the throne. But the Bible doesn't say all things work together for good to Joseph. The Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's you and me. And so, you know what? When we get bitter, it's because of unbelief. I won't trust him. He's got it in hand. I'm okay. You know, I love Numbers chapter 12. Uh, no, yeah, Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, you have Aaron and Miriam going up against Moses. By the way, the whole nation are going up against him. You take too much upon yourself. You think you're so great, Moses. You are just, you think you're it. You think you can say everything and rule everything. And they're going after him. And you know what Moses says? Nothing. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't fight his corner. He just goes on doing what he's doing. He doesn't get involved in it at all. It's almost like it didn't matter. Bible doesn't tell you what was going on in his head, but let, let me help you. What was going on in his head was this, right? Well, God called me to this. I'm not doing anything I want to do myself. So you know what? God's going to have to take care of it. And he just rested in it. And boy, did God take care of it. Boy, did God sort the situation out. But you know what? <clears throat> We don't trust God to sort the situation out, do we? you know what? <laughs> if we don't sort it out, it won't get sorted. God's kind of tardy. He didn't sort it out quick enough so we helped him out and we sorted it out for him. And we end up bent out of shape and we end up bitter and we end up upset because, you know what? We're not willing to let God actually do, be God. If he's God, he can take care of it and he can take care of you and you can trust him too. Now for some of you, you're going to have to start trusting him to see the reality of it. But the more you trust him, then what are you going to find? You know what? He is real. He does it. It gets exciting when you do, right? <clears throat> at the root of anxiety is unbelief. The guy's in the boat. <clears throat> care that not that we perish? Why is it that you have no faith? How could you perish? I'm here. Did you really think all my father's plans were going to uh, get swallowed up in a storm at sea one night? Did you think I couldn't take care of you? Did you think it's only when I'm physically awake that I'm able to take care of you? Because they needed to learn. Because he wouldn't always be physically awake. He was going to be dead on the cross. He was going to be gone from them. They needed to learn. He can take care of us even when we can't see him. So do we. He can take care of us even when we can't see him. Uh, At the root of despair, we looked in Hebrews chapter 12, is unbelief. You know, unbelief. We're not trusting him. You know, if we believe him, the things that he tells us in his word are truth, and we can walk on them. We can depend upon them. We can stand upon the promises. We can expect God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And you know, sometimes you see in people's lives this faith where they step out and they trust God, and you know, <clears throat> uh, the. They, they trust God for something, and it's just, you're going, oh, no, they're going to go down, they're going to crash and burn with this. But they've trusted, and it, it works. It really works. You know, <clears throat> uh, Chris Stoll, Chris, before he came here, was, he was raising support, and he came to the place where he honestly believed that he should just come. That, that, was, that was what he believed. He believed he should come. And I, I quizzed him I <clears throat> uh, over coffee. That's always a good way to quiz people. right? But I, but I really quizzed him because I told him, listen, if you're wrong on this, there's nobody else to take care of you. You're just going to have to get a job and take care of your family because nobody else has the money to look after this. If you're wrong, now it's, it's, it's between you and God, but if you're wrong on it, because I was scared. It didn't look, didn't look possible to me. But I didn't think I should squash his faith either. But you know what? He's here for two years now, and God's taking care of everything. And in some ways, they're better off than, than a lot of other people. They have no bills. Because they have to pay everything right down. And you know what? God has taken care of it. But you know, what happened was he was trusting God in it <clears throat> financially, and God blessed. Now listen, God always blesses when you trust him. God always blesses when you step out in faith and trust him. God always does. Whenever you do it, he's going to meet you in it. Test him out. Try him. Let me give you an area. And by the way, I'm not looking for your money at all. I honestly, I'm not looking for your money at all. Test God out with tithing. You say, that's ridiculous, Pastor. You know how little I have? Give 10% to God. Give 10% to God and come and tell me in a month. Has it worked? Just trust him. Give him 10%. You say, Pastor, I can't make it, make it, <coughs> make it work right now the way it is. Test him. The Bible does tell you to test them in that area. And you know what will happen? After a month, you'll be saying, it works. It works. I've got more than I would have had if I kept the 10%. I, <clears throat> I know of a church. I, 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 I want to do this, but I don't think I should do it because I don't think it's the right thing to do, right? But <clears throat> there, there was a church, and they said, listen, uh, test got out as far as tithing is concerned, and if you're not completely satisfied, after three months, we'll give you back all the money you gave. <laughs> now, I think you could do it legitimately, and it would be true. I just don't think it's right. It's the tithe. It's God's money. I don't think it's right for us to, uh, us to play with it like that, like, it, uh, like it's shopping, right? But <clears throat> trust God with it. And learn to trust God in those areas, and <clears throat> you'll be amazed at what happens. But when we won't trust God, we begin to unravel our own souls. We begin to hurt ourselves. We begin to unravel ourselves, Right? <clears throat> The lie, the fantasy of the great disorder is that God is not doing enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. I need something more. No, you don't. You say, Pastor, you don't understand then. You don't need something more. Because if you did need something more, the God who loves you would have taken care of you and given it to you. You say, but it's uncomfortable. I didn't say it was going to be comfortable. You don't need it. You don't need it. If God hasn't given it to you, you don't need it. He's got a purpose in you not having it. It didn't happen by accident. God's got a purpose in it. Uh, We have interpreted that what we know about God from our experience instead of interpreting our experience in light of what is true about God in the scriptures. What happens is, you know, we experience God in a certain way. And we get a wrong idea of it. And um, what we do then is we build really an idol in our minds of who God is. You know, say for instance, me, right? You know, I'm I'm trusting God uh, to do something in particular in a certain way and expecting Him to do it. And He doesn't do it that way at all. Trusted the Lord for several pieces of land for the church. Really trusted him for it, and we're praying about it, and, and, and all kinds of things, and God didn't do it that way. He had a whole different way of doing it. You know, we, we had prayer meetings, and we fasted, and we prayed, and we sought the Lord, and you know what? It amazes me how we bought this place. I was walking out of the church one day and um, uh, Paul Taylor was walking out of his garden and I said to him, Paul, are you selling the building? And he said, yes. And I said, how much? And he said, how much? And I said, okay, we'll buy it. And that was it. But that was not what we had planned at all. But that was obviously God's plan. And this building has worked so much better. By the way, that's always true of God. The plan he produces is always better. Now, but here's the thing. You trust God for something and it doesn't happen and you think, you know what? God failed me. You've got to be careful of that one because you can't let that one in. Um, <clears throat> if you let that one in, it would kill your faith. You know, if you got it wrong, you got it wrong. Own up, I got it wrong. I trusted God for things that weren't his plan for us. You trusted God for things that weren't his plan. That's okay. You get it wrong. But recognize you got it wrong and Don't pull your pull your faith down, and what I often see people doing doing is pulling the faith of other people down too. You know, trust God to do trust God to be God and to know what's best in the situation, right? Uh, Number four, if we reject what God says is true, all we can do is live in a fantasy world of imagination because the world as we are choosing to believe it does not exist. That's that's deep. It becomes a fantasy world if we decide not to believe God is who he says he is. Right? <clears throat> okay, uh, a world where God does not love us doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, right? Now, <clears throat> if I go across the road and I meet somebody who says, yeah, well, God doesn't love me. Is that true? So, are they believing a lie? You say, well, on, it's not a lie for them. But is it a lie objectively? Yeah, it's a lie objectively. Yeah, it's a lie objectively. (coughs) Okay, here's here's the deal, right? Everybody believed the world was flat. Everybody, all the scientists, everybody believed the world was flat. If you went too far in a boat, you'd fall off the edge. They were sure. You know, poor Galileo decided, no, it's not. It's a sphere. It's round. We got it wrong, guys. You could keep going. And what you'd end up, you just come back to where you started. So they decided he was a lunatic. He was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He was in all kinds of trouble for heresy. Because everybody knew the world was flat. Now, let me ask you we'll say you're one of the billion people or whatever that lived on the world at that time, and somebody comes and says to you, is the world flat? You say, of course it is. Is it a lie? Yes. It's not flat. Because everybody believes it doesn't change the fact that it's a lie. That doesn't change it. Truth is truth. There's an objectivity to truth that you have to understand, and that's the reality of it. So when it comes to our lives, if we look at the world and we say God doesn't love us, that's just not true. That's not true because he tells us he loves us in his word. And it's not true because many people here could, could 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 testify of his love for us. It's just not true. God loves us. Right? <clears throat> A world where God is not in control of all things for our good and his glory does not exist. Now, somebody can believe that if they like. You know, God's not in control or where was God or throw out those, those dreadful things people say. You know, <clears throat> but God's in control. Always for our good and his glory. A world where God is heavy-handed and mean-spirited does not exist. I was raised in a church with a heavy-handed, mean-spirited God who wanted to spoil everybody's fun. And you know what? When I saw the door, I was going through it as fast as I could, and I was never coming back. And and all I knew, by the time I left the Catholic Church, all I knew was there was only one thing I really knew about religion. I don't want to be a Catholic. That's all I knew. I I don't want this. Whatever this is, I don't want it. If this is Christianity, I did not want Christianity either. I just wanted wanted something else, because you know what? Listen, this God just hated us and wanted to take all the fun out of life. God's not like that. God loves us, and he blesses. God delights in blessing us. It's our Father's good will to give us the kingdom. He he, he loves us, right? But when I believe those things, they're fantasy worlds. You know, when Pharaoh believed, right, that he was a God and no one could touch him, and Moses, you can't take the people of Israel, was that a lie? How did he find out it was a lie? When his firstborn son died? Because the God was much bigger than him. But his delusion persisted. And his worldview wouldn't change. So that he went after the people of Israel and he really found out when the water came in over his head and he died. And he had to face that God. It was a lie. And you see, what you believe is critical to you. It's a critical issue as far as your life. Either you're going to live in a fantasy world, unbelief, or you're going to live in a world of truth and reality. This is truth and reality. And when... You take truth and reality and line up your feelings and your experience and your thinking with truth and reality, you're living in the real world. That's the real world. What's out there is not the real world. I mean, they say, you know, live in the real world. This is the real world. They just don't know it yet. But they will know it one day. To live in, a, live in a fantasy world is to hasten our own disintegration. Do you ever see somebody who's losing their mind? I mean, it's a heartbreak, isn't it? I mean, Lord, take me home. Don't let me lose my mind. Don't let me kind of, you know, come to the place where I'm, where I'm living in a world all on my own. But when you don't believe truth, what you're doing is you're hastening the disintegration of your own soul. You're getting to the place where, you know, you're living in a fantasy world. Uh, <clears throat> Philippians 4.19 describes the real world, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, what does that mean to you? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That means everything you need, he will provide. You never have to do wrong to get what you need. Never. You may do wrong, but God will supply your need apart from you ever having to do wrong. So what does that mean if I have a need and God's not supplying it? I don't need it. (laughs) I don't need it. Now, let's move on. Discontent. Because that's the point where discontent kicks in. Discontent is the dissatisfaction of not having what we decided we need. Now, the things that make you discontented and unhappy are life destroyers. Jim Berg says this. He says they are the pre-cancer cells that develop the cancer that destroys you. The things that you're dissatisfied about, the things that your whining discontented heart says, if only I had what I need. And, you know, we could go around the room and everybody would have a different idea of what they need. You know, if only I had this. You don't need it, because how do I know you don't need it? Because God hasn't given it to you. I've had a lot of things I needed in my life or I thought I needed, and God didn't give them to me. And you know what? I've survived perfectly well and done very well. And in fact, I found out that the things he wouldn't let me have were actually blessings. <clears throat> because that's who our God is. Here, listen, we get all kinds of ideas that we need. Do you ever see a child who's tired and you know, uh, they, 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 they need chocolate, or they need sweets, or they need something, or they need that toy that belongs to somebody else. They just need it. They have to have it. No, they don't. They get on perfectly well without it. By the way, don't give in to their needs. Don't give in to those false needs that they have. Don't do that to them. Don't, 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 don't let them get into the place where they... where they um. <clears throat> where they think their needs are real and are going to be because they'll think God will do the same for them, and he won't. God will hang them out to dry because they don't need it. Don't put them in the place where, <coughs> where they think they're going to get it. <coughs> you see, when we feed our minds with discontent, we are saying, God is not enough. I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have the other, and it's just not enough. And by the way, it kind of it goes, isn't it? It gets going. You get more and more of it going. <coughs> uh, I should be, I should have. I should be doing better. I should have a family. I should have more money. I should have a house. I should have a car. I Needs that are rolling around. I need this. I need that. I need the other. And you know what, <clears throat> folks? We can very easily miss all the blessing in our lives because of the things we need. Can't we? You know, <clears throat> they talk about us living in the future, when I have, when I have. You know, and now is all you have. But we live for what's going to be, what we're going to have. No, no, no. Right now is enough. Because God is enough. Uh, I don't like, and the things in your life you don't like, and you can go through a list. Now, it really is helpful uh, for you to actually write down some of those things, not for you to dwell on them, but for you to recognize in your own soul what's driving you. All right. These statements are dangerous because a lust for more is the basis of every temptation in the heart. James one fourteen. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. They are dangerous because the lust for more drives us in its temptation. You think about it. Can you be tempted with something you don't want? How many of you like chopped liver? So Some do, no no doubt, some do, right? Something like that. Uh, How many of you absolutely hate chopped liver? (laughs) you have been forced to eat it at some point, and you hate chopped liver, right? Well, well, say you're very hungry someday, you've been fasting all day, and I produce a pan full of chopped liver. Are you enticed? Not at all. You hate chopped liver. Now, if you like chopped liver, you'd be okay, but if you don't like it, listen, it's not going to entice you at all. You know, um, you know in, try and entice kids with cabbage. And you know what I have for you? I have a nice big bowl of green cabbage. They're, they're, they're not enticed with that at all. You, you, you never have a kid who steals the cabbage and runs out to kind of eat the cabbage, you know, uh, tucked in a corner outside. <clears throat> that doesn't happen. Do you do that, Rebecca? Do you steal mom's cabbage and go, go and eat it outside? <laughs> Very good, Rebecca. <laughs> Um, you you, You know, here's what happens. It's the things that we desire that leave us open to temptation. It's all the desires that you've left rolling around in your mind and you haven't dealt with and you haven't come down to the place of faith and said, no, God has given me enough. I don't need it. Now, listen, there is a legitimate way to deal with legitimate things that you want. Lord, I would really like this, Lord, in your time and in your place Lord, but I'm putting it in your hands. But when I, when I let it roll around in my heart, I need, I want, I desire, I have to have. It's not fair. Everybody else have and I don't. When I let those things roll, what I'm doing is I'm leaving myself wide open to temptation. And the enemy knows. He knows what's in there. And that's the area he's going to go after you And Why wouldn't he? He's going to go after you in that area. He's going to nail you in that area. Because... <clears throat> You know <clears throat> what, what you're doing is you're 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 focusing on your lusts, and it's our lusts that he takes and he uses to uh, bring us into temptation. <clears throat> um, write down a list of your. <clears throat> if only, by the way, let me just give you a quick illustration with Israel, right? Numbers 11 through 16, don't turn, there's too many chapters to read, right? But in Numbers 11 uh, through 16, the nation of Israel are in a moany bent. Now, they're moany all the time, but they were really moany at this point. Right? They had all these things they were moaning about. Right? All these things they were moaning. They were saying, if only life was easier. It's too hard for us, Moses. You've made it too hard for us. Life was better for us back there. If only, if only life was easier, right? And they're, they're, they're moaning and complaining, if only we had water. Uh, if only we had something other than manna to eat, if only we were back in Egypt, and they even go so far as to say, if only we were dead, like our brethren that that died in the wilderness. Better for us if we had died. And what are they doing? They're they're, they're focusing on the things that God hasn't given them because they didn't need it. Now, In all honesty, I have no desire to live on any one single food for 40 years. Don't have any desire for that, you know. Uh, I like a a varied diet. But you know what? If God decided that's what it was to be, it would be enough. It would be enough. And if I rested in him, it would be enough for me. Because he loves me and he would take care of me. You see... But when I let the, the, uh, I want more than this, and this is not good enough, and I have to have, and I have to have, and I have to have, and, and I start going after all those things that are not enough in my life, you know what happens? I end up unraveling my soul. How much noise is caused in your soul because you don't have what you deserve? And you don't have what you want, and you don't have what you need, and everybody else... How much noise is caused in your soul? How much discontent and misery do we cause ourselves by not saying, you know, this is what God gives me, is enough. I have enough. By the way, think about it this way. I'm not not suggesting that you're kind of trying to pull a number on God because it won't work. But think about it this way. You know, if you have a child who's whining and never satisfied, how much do you want to give to them? Nothing. It's not have any desire to give. Now listen, good parents are going to give the child things they need anyway, but you know what? There's not much fun in taking care of a whiner. But you've got somebody who's, who's happy with what they get. Your heart gets stirred to want to give to them. Isn't that right? Your heart gets stirred, and you, you enjoy giving. You see, and what happens is that when we get satisfied, we enter a whole new economy. God's able to give us and take care of us because we're satisfied in him. And we're not in the place where we're whining, moaning, and and complaining, but not having enough now. God's able to take care of us. He's able to meet our need. So what we need to do, you need to learn to look for the roots of unbelief and discontent when you see the fruit of guilt, anxiety, anger, and despair. You need to ask yourself, why am I not believing God? When you get in that place where you're griping and murmuring and complaining and discontented. Now, I know, listen, it's people that do it to you. It's always people. But the truth is, what you're saying is, God's not giving me enough. He's not taking care of me on this one. I need more. And that's dangerous ground. It's dangerous for you because your unbelief will disintegrate your soul. And it puts you on the off with God as well. And you don't want to be on the off with God. God knows best. Back to the thought of Jesus as he faced the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. I don't want this. This is this is not what I want, Father. But if it's Your will, I accept it. It's enough. And that's where we need to be in our lives. If this is Your will, Lord, it's enough. And when we put ourselves in that place, we're in the place of faith. We're in the place where God can minister to us and God can take care of us. Isn't that what Joseph must have believed? As a slave. Didn't want to be a slave. Didn't want this. But Lord, if this is what you have for me right now, it's enough. And then on top of that, to get thrown into the prison? But Lord, if this is what you have for me, it's it's enough. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get bent out of shape. I'm going to love you and walk with you. And you know what? It's amazing how we can make a special case for ourselves. Well, that's probably true for everybody, but you know, you need to understand my situation. My situation is definitely not enough, and here's the reason. And it's a lie and blinds us because he's given us enough. He's taken care of us. He took everything off Job in one day. What did Job say? It's enough, Lord. It's enough. When we need to settle in our hearts, it's enough. God, what you've given me is enough. Now, Lord, there's other things I'd really like. But, Lord, I'm not going to harp on those things because you've given given me enough. And when you start saying it's enough and you start counting on what you do have and you start thanking God for what you do have, you begin to realize it's more than enough. Much more than enough. God didn't shortchange anybody in this room. He's given us all more than enough. And if we accept that, we open the door to blessing in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this people that have come out tonight. And, oh, Lord, I pray, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to work out in our hearts and lives the reality of the fact that you are enough for us and that you've given us all that we need. And, oh, Lord, all that. <coughs> All the things that we let into our souls where we get anxious and bent out of shape and come to the place, Lord, where we're we're just going after it because we're, we're dissatisfied, Lord, they're all of the enemy and enemies of our soul. Lord, bless. Help us to be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen.